Please be advised, all music tracks used in this production are sole property of Kelson Communications and are original compositions. Thank you. To everyone tuning in, welcome. This is Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate. You're listening to the Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast, the program that promotes, celebrates, uplifts, and highlights the social work profession. This podcast aims to educate the general public to the vital contributions professional social workers make in every aspect of society every day. Hello, everyone. This is Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate, host of the award-winning Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast, produced by Kelson Communications Incorporated. In October of 2020, I had the honor and privilege of being one of 15 social workers chosen nationally as the 2020-2021 Network for Social Work Management Policy Fellow. It was a 10-month research program. The culmination was a final presentation of each fellow's research findings. The series is entitled Raise the Wage, the Case for Equitable Pay for Social Workers and Other Human Service Professionals. Today, we have a very influential guest with us, and it is my distinct honor and pleasure to introduce and welcome Ms. Sarah Butts. She's an LCSW, and she is the Director of Public Policy at the National Association of Social Workers, main headquarters down in Washington, D.C. Ms. Butts, thank you so much for joining us in this very, very important uh, documentary feature. Thank you for having me. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna get right into the the heart of the matter, and the the whole purpose that I chose this particular topic is because, you know, there's so much misinformation about social workers and who we are and what we do, but that causes people to not value us for what we have contributed to society, and so. What I want to do is just educate people more about who we are, what we do, and also give you a chance um, as a key member of NESW to talk about what NESW is doing to help us to to, to elevate our status. So um, I want to start by asking you about the NESW's 2021 Blueprint for Federal Social Policy Priorities document. Tell our listeners a little bit about that. So... The National Association of Social Workers uh, released this uh, blueprint, which is 40 plus pages of recommendations that are actionable. Uh, The the kind of um, audience for this actual document are the new administration, the Biden-Harris administration and the 117th Congress. There are a total of 21 issue areas covered in the blueprint uh, that really encompass our workforce advocacy for social workers and also those social justice priorities that benefit our clients and society. Um, The Blueprint's organized using the Grand Challenges for Social Work, which is a research-informed social policy agenda that the profession developed and that I served as the first executive director of that initiative. And so this is really a, um, I think, a foundational document that organizes the profession that we can get down, get, get, get um, together and try to make progress in this Congress for over the next four years. Mm-hmm. Very good. Very good. Um, now, we, we all realize, especially since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic and also all the racial unrest um, and, and the political upheaval, we all realize now, and if not, we should realize how essential social workers are in the workforce. Why do you think, in your opinion, that we're not recognized that way? Yeah. 
Well, you know, some, some of the impetus for the reason for developing for the social work profession to embark on a grand challenges initiative was the, was the fact that we're misunderstood as a profession. And I think some of the contributing factors is that we work across so many different settings. And in those settings, we have different scope of practice. And so we have social workers that are really um, providing services in schools, in hospitals, in community-based um, medical clinics, in, in nonprofits, even in public policy. We, we have social workers as members of Congress. Which is yes. Just, okay. Um, there are social workers who have dual training that are uh, lawyers and, and also social workers, doctors, also social workers. So incredibly diverse field. And that leads to confusion because we don't just do one thing. And, and I think that it, it is the platform for which we should um, share about all the wonderful work that we do. But yes. it's true that we're misunderstood. So um, one of the things that um, you and I have talked about and I want you to elaborate on is um, ways that we as social workers can advocate better for ourselves. And, and, and what's the importance behind that? Yes. Well, you know, it's so interesting because we're living in this time of social media. I, I grew up without social media and it's amazing because you can just kind of seemingly yell into the internet and, and you have a voice. So there's some power in the time that we're living right now, but we, we can't discount the importance of calling your member of Congress or their congressional staff or your um, representatives, your lawmakers in state legislatures and saying, hey, I'm in your district, This I'm a social worker, I'm a member of, of the National Association of Social Workers or any other social work organization that you're a member of and, and ex explaining your experience. Um, we need to be doing that on a, on a routine basis and kind of asking for the things that we need or that our clients need. Um, yes. I agree, I start agree. There. Okay, start there. all right. Uh, <clears throat> and I think of another key point um, that we as social workers need to consider, and I want to get your opinion on this, um, kind of going off script, but, you know, being able to access the media to tell our story, yes. that's the really important. Yes, absolutely. So it's interesting, you know, um, decision makers often are not going to be the ones that are reading our research and our practice in journals we do need to engage the media in a, in a deliberate effort. And I do think that is a means to speed the translation of research to practice and policy. And that particularly our experts in the profession who have, they know quite a bit about the, the most vexing kind of social problems in our society, things like substance use disorder, um, how to treat very vulnerable clients, such as individuals who are experiencing homelessness, that they have ideas about how we could um, improve our social policies and getting those ideas into the into the media. I think is 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 critical. Yes, yes, I agree. I agree. Now, um, there's a, a lot of uh, talk going around about social workers um, having low, inequitable salaries when they start out in the profession, but at the same time graduating with high student loan debt. Uh, can you share some of the data on loan debt and how that affects uh, a person's decision to go into social work with those two factors impacting their decision? That's right. Well, you know, it's amazing. Uh, student loan debt has skyrocketed over the last 10 years. Uh, it's, it's maybe even doubled uh, for, for many different uh, um, work 
workers, for, for many different provider groups and other workers. So student loan debt, apart from the social work profession, is, a, is at a crisis level. But for us, it's, a, it's really exceptionally difficult because of, of what you said, the low starting salary. So uh, starting salaries are between around 47,000 and 50,000 for social workers that are trained at the master's level. So the terminal degree for, for, to practice social work is an MSW um, plus licensure requirements, mm -hmm. okay? And this can be a costly process, both in your education and what you need to do to pass the licensing exam and to maintain your uh, supervision and, and, and um, continuing education. Amazingly in social work, um, the, the, the amount of student loan debt is around 68,000 to 76,000 on average right now for a master's degree. That means that there's students in their profession that have much more student loan debt. And, and even more disturbing is that the, the um, Council on Social Work Education and the National Association of Social Workers conducted a, a survey recently of new social work graduates that shows even higher debt loads with social workers of color having even more student loan debt than their uh, white peers. And there, as you know, are many contributing factors. But the mean average reported by um, black social workers in, in that survey data says 92,000, 92,000. And so if we think about having a, a, a starting salary of 47,000 and a, uh, a debt of 92,000, that's about double. Yeah, yeah. Right, mm -hmm. it's about double. So that that's, a, that's at a crisis level. And, and this is at the same time when we have a failed promise of public service loan forgiveness program that really has not been realized that is now 10 years in and majority of those applications are being uh, rejected for forgiveness. And so um, we're 80% plus um, female in our profession. So that does suggest an un unresolved gender pay gap. And uh, we'll talk about this later, I think in, the, in this discussion, but um, we're also one of the lowest uh, paid of um, provider groups in, in Medicare for clinical yes. social work services. And this is contributing. So mm -hmm. uh, I think that this, this, this issue of, of uh, women providing these services to vulnerable and underserved communities and not being paid is gotta be our number one, number two, number three priority. There's different things that are right up there, but this is one of them. Absolutely, absolutely, and um, and, and that that kind of leads me to the next point. Um, for you to please talk to our viewers and listeners about advocacy, and when you talk about advocacy, NASW has been on the forefront of many many issues, um, but also they had a big role to play in the um, um, the Employer Participation and Repayment Act. Um, talk about that and what that um, means as part of the CARES Act yeah. in relation to NASW. Yeah, this is interesting. So the Employer Participation and Repayment Act was a, is a bipartisan bill from the 116th Congress that um, would benefit social workers and many other employees. It, it allows employers to contribute up to $5,250 towards their employee's student loan debt. And it's tax deductible to the employer and is not taxed to the employee. And this is an example where, 
you know, social work wasn't mentioned in this bill. Um, it, it wasn't really being advanced by kind of nonprofit or social justice groups. Uh, I found it trying to look for opportunities to support our profession around student loan debt relief. And we helped to um, work in coalition to get kind of get this bill enough support that the provisions were temporarily authorized through one of the COVID-19 relief packages, the CARES Act. And we want to advocate now to hold on to this, um, these provisions and make them permanent. Um, and because if we need a, a process, you know, I think of this as some of the more innovative strategies where employers can contribute to, to the student loan debt of their employees. This is an important mechanism to support employees, to participate, and to retain them. Yes. So that's kind of one of the creative solutions that, that um, NESW members helped to get support for. We, we had over 2,500 members write to their, their, their lawmakers to get support for that bill in particular. Mm -hmm. and, and there's also, um, as you and I had you know, discussed earlier, there's, there's a real connection between um, the social work profession or us as social workers as a specific profession and the human services profession as, as a broader broader entity. Yeah. And, and, and so the importance is that, you know, we kind of all need to kind of do this together so that we yeah. can all kind of benefit the same. Um, now, social workers... One of the things that, and I just want to just add this, one of the things that I, I tell a lot of my um, colleagues, especially I speak to a lot of um, students that are going for the MSW, BSW, and I got this from one of my mentors, always state that you're a social worker, no matter what you do. If you do research, say you're a research social worker. If you do substance abuse, say you're a substance abuse social worker. Always put that in there. Because what that does, in my opinion, is it gives the general public, a broader view of all the things, the many different areas that we work in. Um, but what I find is that somebody can be entitled a case manager or a caseworker, but not necessarily, they're not a social worker. But a social worker can be a case manager or a caseworker. So there was a, a time when they started grouping everybody together and so now, you know, we want to make sure we're clear on social workers, licensed mental health counselors, uh, licensed marriage and family therapists. Um, but when we talk about social work, we're talking about a very unique, specific, all-encompassing profession. Um, and we do a, most of the uh, treatment for mental health services. So can you detail efforts to increase clinical social work reimbursement rates? Um, in Medicare through the uh, Improving Access to Mental Health Act. Why is that important and how can that benefit the whole profession? That's right. So, you know, when you hear that title, the Improving Access to Mental Health Act, and you realize that the focus is on Medicare, you might not uh, realize how significant uh, support for this bill, what it would mean for our entire profession. And I'll try to explain that. Uh, what this bill would do, and, and I just say quickly that our champions are, are Representative Barbara Lee, Congresswoman Barbara Lee in the House, mm -hmm. and um, Senators uh, Debbie Stabenow and John Barrasso in the Senate. Uh, without um, their support and leadership, we wouldn't have this, this legislation, so we wouldn't recognize them. Mm -hmm. uh, and two social workers, social workers in Congress that are, are they're introducing the, the, this bill. So what the Improving Access to Mental Health Act would do was expand um, access to clinical social workers uh, services in Medicare, specifically that those individuals in skilled nursing facilities 
could have access to clinical social work services. An example would be psychotherapy to allow us to bill and provide services called health behavior assessment and intervention services, HBAI services. These are services that are already within the scope of practice of social workers, but that Medicare doesn't permit us to provide in their program. Mm. And it would raise the reimbursement rate for clinical social workers from 75% of the physician fee schedule um, to 85% of the physician fee schedule. Now, why is this important? Uh, I'm not aware of any other uh, um, provider groups that are being paid 75% of the physician fee schedule. Um, Compare us to psychologists, they are 100% of the physician fee schedule. Um, both psychologists and social workers provide um, psychotherapy services. The services are not identical, but there is a disparity in the reimbursement. And, and I just want to say that the reimbursement rates for many providers in Medicare are very low. So our most vulnerable um, older adults and individuals who, who are disabled, who are indeed Medicare beneficiaries, have a tough time accessing these services. And the reimbursement rate in Medicare has a big influence on what happens in commercial insurance and how they set their rates. And so when we consider the, the unbelievable mental health and behavioral health needs that have just been kind of highlighted through the COVID-19 pandemic, this is absolutely imperative that we don't have um, barriers uh, to providing care, not just for social workers, but for all mental health and behavioral health. As you said earlier, if, if we want to really achieve parity where there's really robust access to, to these services, then we need to support all the different provider groups that are, that are involved in, in serving our clients. Yes, absolutely. A rising tide lifts all boats. Absolutely. That's right. Absolutely. That's right. Uh, now, <clears throat> to get back to the whole concept, social work is seen and is a female-dominated profession. Um, and I think that, you know, we, we need to kind of really take a look at that, as you mentioned, yeah. because that has a direct impact on why salaries are so low. And, and, and that does need to be fixed uh, because for the simple fact that you, you, you also bring into the discussion when you pay social workers such a, an unequitable salary based on the fact that most social workers are female and the fact that when people hear the term social work, they tend to think of those who are less than desirable, the, the, the castaways, the, 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 the write-offs. And so one of my colleagues said, well, people who are, who are working with the poor, then they deserve to be paid poorly, which is the exact opposite so the thing is that gender equity is wrapped up in this whole low pay scale and that needs to be fixed. Um, what is it that you think should be done and can be done to increase that, acts, that, that part of the social work workforce, which is female oriented, which is separate in a part because if you fix that, then you fix the salaries in themselves. Yeah. Well, this is complicated. You know, there's many contributing factors to why um, social workers, why there's a kind of um, history of, of not being paid uh, as much as some other provider groups. Um, teachers may be another example or nurses and 
um, each of the, our, our respective disciplines have um, advocated and used different ways to kind of um, communicate this message. Uh, one of the challenges with our profession that we've discussed earlier is the many different settings that we work in. Mm -hmm. So we almost have to have an approach where we're trying to raise the wages for clinical reimbursement um, for those workers that are in public child welfare because mm -hmm. they have a different employer. Um, for school-based social workers, they have a different employer, the schools, mm -hmm. the states, right? And so um, there are different points of advocacy to kind of lift those wages. And uh, we're trying to do that across these different settings. Mm -hmm. um, I also think a dimension of this is that many social workers are indeed um, first-generation college graduates. It's something we don't talk about. It's something I'm very proud um, to share. I try to explain that in my work uh, with con congressional offices, that we are indeed one of the more diverse healthcare providers. Uh, particularly our younger social workers are uh, individuals of color are joining the profession and these first year, I mean, uh, uh, first generation college graduates. And so they have a higher debt load because it's been so difficult for them to kind of transcend their social class mm -hmm. and obtain higher education, which is just amazing. And so it's something that I think our profession is actually contributing to society that we don't often talk about. But listen, I, I welcome ideas on how we can facilitate better understanding that, that we need to have a living wage. Unfortunately, there are social workers who um, even qualify for public benefits because yeah. mm -hmm. their pay is so low. And, and I just want to say that it's also the case that social workers in some settings do quite well. Yes, absolutely. There are, absolutely. There are some social workers who um, make a very, a, a very good salary. And some sectors of our profession, subsets of our profession, uh, um, those jobs are more lucrative. And so mm -hmm. sometimes social workers should look into that before they figure out what they're going to specialize in with their practice area. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely, mm -hmm. absolutely. And, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the one thing that I, that I noticed is that um, I was doing a radio program about two years ago, and I, and I knew the, uh, the host was going to ask me about it about, you know, what, you know, why social workers salaries, you know, are so um, un, un, unequitable. And, you know, when you go into it, you don't really go into it. So I, I did a little research and thanks to NASW's website, I found a slew of information that I didn't even know. And so I was very prepared. And when he asked me the question, so I said, well, listen, you know, if you look at um, the social work profession, it's, it's no different than any other profession. You know, you come out of college with a four-year degree. You know, I said, you know, you, you might start out, you know, with the maybe 35, 40,000, you get your license, it bumps up. I said, but there are social workers, you know, with some time and experience that can make six figures. And he looked at me, he goes, wow, I, I never knew that. So like you said, it's research and, 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 and knowing what populations are in most demand because it's supply and demand. If uh, social workers in demand in a certain population, then, you know, that's something where you got to take a look at that. But social workers need to always um, be proud that they are social workers. You know, it, it can't be something where they show uh, deference to other professions because as a profession, it's been said, we're the most noble of the helping professions. And so, you know, one of my battle cries is I say to all my social work audiences, I tell all the social workers to stand up, whether they're students or professionals, and I said, say it loud, say it proud. I'm a social worker and I make a difference. And yeah. so 
you know, we, we, we have to, you know, we have to dispel the myth because if we tell everybody that, you know, we get paid low, then they're going to think that that's all we deserve to get paid. And then another thing that some of the research shows is social workers got to know what their intrinsic value is. So they go to school and get a social work degree, which is true. But what about all the other experience you bring to the table? So to be able to use that to parlay that and negotiate just like in any other profession. So I think, you know, we need to know more of our worth than we need to be able to advocate and sell that when we're at the negotiating table. And so that being said, the last point um, that I'd like to, to have you address is um, the fact that um, BIPOC communities are portrayed as the ones where social workers are most likely to be needed um, do you think that has anything to do with the salaries that are offered? Yeah, it's hard to say. I, I do think that our um, the populations that social workers have served over the years and um, the extent to which society values these groups does contribute to um, perception and how much resources are allocated for certain things, right? So for for um, just how, how do we value children? Many social workers mm. focus on children and families. Um, mm -hmm. We value in, individuals as they age. Um, how do we um, value certain communities over others? And so maybe there is some, some, um, some kind of impact of our, the populations that we work with because um, the NESW Code of Ethics calls us to um, serve the community and, and underserved communities and to have a focus on individuals who um, are not able to meet their basic human needs, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I actually think, Silas, that um, it is our strength that we are working in these communities, that we are among the community in our work, um, that, that we are providing social services, social work, right? Mm -hmm. And that that's a selling point. Mm -hmm especially now. So not only do we as social workers need to talk about our work, talk about the needs of our clients, but we need our clients in the communities that we serve to talk about the value of the social yes. community. Yes, absolutely. And absolutely. so I, I think this is our strength. Uh, maybe in our history, it has worked against us, but I absolutely think this is our strength. And this is an area where we need to focus and try to facilitate those stories the stories of our experience and of our clients and the success. The success stories, yes. The success, you know, and so, um, and particularly lawmakers, they, they like to hear from constituents in the community around these kind of experiences mm -hmm. and what's working, what's not working. And mm -hmm. I think that's a strength of social work. We go to the community. We try to do these um, projects that are bottom up, that are community engaged. Um, and, and so, um, May not be a complete answer to your question, which is quite complicated. Yes, uh, it is. I'm trying to take the uh, like a more optimistic way of thinking about this and um, mm -hmm. see it as an opportunity. Absolutely. Well, you know, to add to that, you know, I always you, you know use my my own personal life experience. You know, when whenever I get the opportunity, I like to share that because had it not been for social work, I'm, I'm telling you and everybody that's going to listen and hear this, I wouldn't be sitting here today as a licensed social worker with a master's degree and, a, and you, know, a, you know, a father of three lovely daughters and a, a loving family. And that's not the background that I came from. So it was social work that 
rescued me from a very treacherous situation, not once, but twice. But before I was three years old, I had twice been rescued. And so when, I, when I'm out talking about social work, I'm talking from firsthand experience. And, you know, that's why, you know, I say that we need to get more people to tell the story of what social work has meant to them. I'm talking about successful people. Because one thing I, I, I like to just add, you know, before we wrap up, is our job is not to find somebody who needs uh, public assistance and, and, and get them on public assistance so that they stay there. Our job is to get them solidly footed so that they can rise like a phoenix and go on to, to strive and thrive and then make a contribution to society. That's what social work does. It's not, people get the wrong idea, in my opinion. Your social work, all you do is help people get food stamps and you take people's kids away. No, that's not it. What we do is we change futures. And that's the story that I'm hoping that this documentary and, and, and individuals like yourself contributing can, can share with the viewers and the listeners is that social work is a, a profession like none other. And once we get people to realize the impact, then it will be a no-brainer that they see that you can't put a price on what social workers do. You can't say it's worth this amount because it's priceless. And, and, and I think that it, when we look at the big picture and we get more social work uh, recipients to tell their story, then it'll change the narrative. But we got to get them to step up. So yes. that's, yes. that's one of the reasons why I became an e-journalism social work advocate, to tell our story. Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely correct that um, we need to get those stories out and that they're very valuable. And um, we do have a lot to offer. Uh, especially in the policy space. And impact is what motivates me to do this work every day mm -hmm. uh, on behalf of our workforce and our clients. It's a, it's a great privilege. Um, I also am kind of deeply motivated from my own experiences uh, to do this work. And uh, I think there's many passionate social workers in our profession that feel the same way. Yes, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Okay, well, that's going to wrap it up for us here today. It's been my distinct pleasure to have with me um, a very distinguished guest, Ms. Sarah Butts, um, LCSW, who is the Director of Public Policy at the NASW National Headquarters in Washington, D.C. Ms. Butts, thank you so much for taking time out and talking with us and our listeners. We'll certainly get a lot from what you had to share. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate and host of the show. You've been listening to the Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast. This and all other programs are available on the Apple iTunes, Spotify, and Anchor podcast platforms. Go to any search engine and type in Kelson on the Air in the search window to hear this show in its entirety. Thank you for tuning in. This has been a Kelson Communications production.